Hello, everybody. It's Steven, and uh, this will be our first like actual podcast of content, I suppose, covering the ruthless elimination of hurry by John Mark Comer. Um, so the kind of lay of the land for the next few weeks, and I think this is going to take about five weeks for us to, to move through together, is um, this first week we're going to be covering the foreword uh, by John Ortberg, um, just to kind of preface the book. And then we're going to cover... Uh, the first part of the book. So the book is kind of split into a few different parts. There's part one, the problem, part two, the solution. Uh, There's an intermission which explains the spiritual disciplines. And then there's the uh, part three, the four practices for unhurrying your life. Um, So I think in the first week we'll do the foreword and uh, one of the parts of uh, the problem, there's uh, the last little part there is something is deeply wrong and the author kind of explains what's wrong with this kind of hustle culture that we have going on these days. And then uh, in week two, we'll cover the intermission that explains the spiritual disciplines and also go into the first of the four practices that we'll talk about, which is silence and solitude. Uh, In week three, we'll cover the Sabbath. Uh, In week four, simplicity. And in week five, slowing. So each of these has some, you know, uh, actual stories uh, from the Bible. Uh, that will accompany this but the basic flow of things is we'll be going through this together i'll be reading it and throughout i'm going to have some questions for you guys uh, to kind of reflect on before we meet in person and then we'll cover either the biblical story or just some extra context uh, when we meet in person then that's what i'll expect you guys to with your d group so it's i think it's a pretty pretty cool idea and i'm looking forward to it um so without any further ado i guess we'll get started And I'm beginning just in the foreword, the kind of preface for the book. So it starts a little something like this. The smartest and best man I've ever known jotted down some thoughts about hurry. I think they were posted in his kitchen when he died. Hurry, he wrote, involves excessive haste or a state of urgency. It is associated with words such as hurl, hurdle, hurly-burly, meaning uproar, and hurricane. He defined it as a state of frantic effort one falls into in response to inadequacy, fear, and guilt. The simple essence of hurry is too much to do. The good of being delivered from hurry is not simply pleasure, but the ability to do calmly and effectively with strength and joy that which really matters. We should take it as our aim, he wrote, to live our lives entirely without hurry. We should form a clear intention to live without hurry, one day at a time, trying today. We should form a mental picture of our place in the world before God. This place, or excuse me, this places us in a different context. This does not say, the Lord is my shepherd, therefore I gotta run faster. Shepherds rarely run. Good ones, anyways. He said to begin to eliminate things that you have to do. He said it was important to not be afraid of doing nothing. He said to plan on such times. He said it would be important to deal with the panic of not being busy, to allow yourself to be in the panic, feeling it roll over you and not going for the fix. John Mark Comer has written a prophetic word for our day. He is engaging and honest and learned and fun and humble. He guides us to a great crossroads. To choose to live an unhurried life in our day is somewhat like taking a vow of poverty in early centuries. It is scary. It is an act of faith. But there are deeper riches on the other side. To be in the presence of a person where hurry, like uh, Elvis, has left the building is to be inspired about the possibility of another kind of life. 
I was struck by the gifts of wisdom studded throughout this book. All my worst moments are when I'm in a hurry. Love, joy, and peace are incompatible with hurry. The average iPhone user touches his or her phone 2,617 times a day. By way of contrast, the psalmist said, I have set the Lord always before me. And that is Psalm 18, verse 8. What would my life be like if, I, if God touched my mind as frequently as I touched my phone? Freedom perhaps never comes without a cost. And John Mark is someone who has made choices that involved a price to pursue life that is beyond price. He knows both the struggle and the choice, and so he can speak to those things uh, when we hunger and thirst. Twenty centuries ago, another wise man said, Make the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Ephesians 5, verse 16. I used to think that that meant the days are full of sensuality and fleshly temptation. Of course they are. But I think that means that the life we were intended to live must be lived in time. And we are so used to spiritually mediocre days, days lived in irritation and fear and self-preoccupation and frenzy, that we throw away our lives in a hurry. So, in these pages lies the great invitation. Take a deep breath, put your cell phone away, let your heart slow down, let God take care of the world. John Ortberg. Prologue. Autobiography of an Epidemic. It's a Sunday night, 10 p.m., head up against the glass of an Uber, too tired to even sit up straight. I taught six times today. Yes, six. The church I pastor just added another gathering. That's what you do, right? Make room for people. I made it until about talk number four. I don't remember anything after that. I'm well beyond tired emotionally, mentally, and even spiritually. When we, went, when we first went to six, I called up this megachurch pastor in California who'd been doing six services for a while. How do you do it? I asked. Easy. It's just like running a marathon once a week. Okay. Thanks. Click. Wait. Isn't running a marathon really hard? I take up long distance running. He has an affair and drops out of church. That does not bode well for my future. Home now, late dinner, can't sleep, that dead, tired, but wired feeling. Crack open a beer, on the couch, watching an obscure kung fu movie nobody's ever heard of. Chinese, with subtitles. Keanu Reeves is the bad guy. Love Keanu. <sighs> Lately, I'm ending most of my nights this way, on the couch, long after the family has gone to bed. Never been remotely into kung fu before. It makes me nervous. Is this the harbinger of mental illness on the horizon? It all started when he got obsessed with indie martial arts movies. But the thing is, I feel like a ghost. Half alive, half dead. More numb than anything else. Flat, one-dimensional. Emotionally, I live with an undercurrent of non-stop anxiety that rarely goes away, and a tinge of sadness. But mostly, I just feel blah, spiritually, empty. It's like my soul is hollow. My life is so fast, and I like fast. I'm type A, driven, a get-crap-done kind of guy, but we're well past that now. I work six days a week, early to late, and it's still not enough time to get it all done. Worse, I feel hurried, like I'm tearing through each day, so busy with the life that I'm missing out on the moment. And what is life but a series of moments? Anybody? I can't be the only one. 
Monday morning, up early, in a hurry to get to the office. Always in a hurry. Another day of meetings. I freaking hate meetings. I'm introverted and creative, and like most millennials, I get bored way too easily. Me and a lot of meetings is a terrible idea for all involved. But our church grew really fast, and that's part of the trouble. I hesitate to say this because, trust me, if anything, it's embarrassing. We grew by over a thousand people a year for seven years straight. I thought this is what I wanted. I mean, a fast-growing church is every pastor's dream, but some lessons are best learned the hard way. Turns out, I don't actually want to be the CEO slash executive director of a nonprofit HR expert, strategy guru, leader of leaders, etc. I got into this thing to teach the way of Jesus. Is this the way of Jesus? Speaking of Jesus, I have this terrifying thought lurking at the back of my mind. This nagging question of conscience that won't go away. Who am I becoming? I just hit 30, level three. So I have a little time under my belt, enough to chart a trajectory to plot the character arc of my life a few decades down the road. I stop. <sighs> Envision myself at 40, 50, 60. It's not pretty. I see a man who is successful by all the wrong metrics, church size, book sales, speaking invites, social stats, etc. And the new American dream, your own Wikipedia page. In spite of all my talk about Jesus, I see a man who is emotionally unhealthy and spiritually shallow. I'm still in my marriage, but it's a duty, not delight. My kids want nothing to do with the church. She was the mistress of choice for dad, an illicit lover I ran to, to hide from the pain of my wound. I'm basically who I am today, but older and worse, stressed out, on edge, quick to snap at the people I love the most, unhappy, preaching a way of life that sounds better than it actually is. Oh, and always in a hurry. Why am I in such a rush to become somebody I don't even like? It hits me like a freight train. In America, you can be a success as a pastor and a failure as an apprentice of Jesus. You can gain a church and lose your soul. I don't want this to be my life. Fast forward three months, flying home from London, Spent the week learning from my charismatic Anglican friends about life in the spirit. It's like a whole other dimension to reality that I've been missing out on. But with each mile east, I'm flying back to a life I dread. The night before we left, this guy Ken prayed for me in this posh English accent. He had a word for me about coming to a fork in the road. On the road was paved. Excuse me. One road was paved and led to a city with lights. Another was a dirt road in the forest. It led into the dark, into the unknown. I am to take the unpaved road. I have absolutely no idea what it means, but it means something. I know, as he said it, I felt my soul tremor under God, but what is God saying to me? Catching up on an email, planes are good for that. I'm behind as usual. Bad news again, a number of staff are upset with me. I'm starting to question this whole mega church thing. Not so much the size of a church, but the way of doing it. Is this really it? A bunch of people coming to listen, to talk to, and then go back to their over-busy lives? But my questions come off angry and arrogant. I'm so emotionally unhealthy. I'm just leaking chemical waste over our poor staff. What's that leadership axiom? As the leaders, as go the leaders, so goes the church. Dang. I sure hope our church doesn't end up like me. 
Sitting in aisle 21C, musing over how to answer another tense email, a virgin thought comes to the surface of my mind. Maybe it's the thin atmosphere of 30,000 feet, but I don't think so. This thought has been trying to break out for months, if not years, but I've not let it. It's too dangerous, too much of a threat to the status quo. But the time has come for it to be uncaged, let loose in the wild. Here it is. What if I changed my life? Another three months and a thousand hard conversations later dragging every pastor and mentor and friend and family member into the vortex of the most important decision I've ever made. I'm sitting in an elder meeting. Dinner's over. It's just me and our core leaders. This is the moment. From here on, my autobiography will fall into the before or after category. I say it. I resign. Well, not resign per se. I'm not quitting. We're a multi-site church, as if one church isn't more than enough for a guy like me to lead. Our largest church is in the suburbs. I spent the last 10 years of my life here, but my heart's always been in the city. All the way back to high school, I remember driving my 77 Volkswagen bus up and down the 23rd Street and dreaming of church planting downtown. Our church in the city is smaller, much smaller, on way harder ground. Urban Portland is a secular wonderland, and all the cards are against you down here. But that's where I feel the gravity of the spirit weighing on me to touch down. So not resign, more like demote myself. I want to lead one church at a time. Novel concept, right? My dream is to slow down, simplify my life around abiding, walk to work. I want to reset the metrics for success, I say. I want to focus more on who I am becoming in apprenticeship to Jesus. Can I do that? They say, yes. Most likely they're thinking, finally. People will talk, they always do. He couldn't hack it, true. Wasn't smart enough, not true. Wasn't tough enough, okay, mostly true. Or here's one I will get for months. He's turning his back on God's call on his life, wasting his gift in obscurity. Farewell. Let them talk, I have new metrics now. I end my 10 year run at the church. My family and I take a sabbatical. It's an act of sheer grace. I spent the first half comatose, but slowly I wake back up to my soul. I come to a much smaller church. We move into the city, I walk to work, I start therapy, one word, wow. Turns out I need a lot of it. I focused on emotional health, work fewer hours, date my wife, play Star Wars Legos with my kids. It's for them, really. Practice Sabbath, detox from Netflix, start reading fiction for the first time since high school, walking the dog before bed. You know, live. Sounds great, right? Utopian even? Hardly. I feel like a drug addict coming off meth. Who am I without the mega? A queue of people who want to meet with me, a late night email flurry. A life of speed isn't easy to walk away from, but in time, I detox, fill my soul open up. There are no fireworks in the sky. Change is slow, gradual, and intermittent. Three steps forward, a step back or two. Some days, I nail it. Other days, I slip back into hurry. But for the first time in years, I'm moving towards maturity, one inch at a time, becoming more like Jesus and like my best self. Even better, I feel God again. I feel my own soul. I'm on the unpaved road with no clue where it leads, but that's okay. I honestly value who I'm becoming over where I end up. 
and for the first time in years, I'm smiling at the horizon. My Uber ride home to binge watch Keanu Reeves was five years and many lifetimes ago. So much has changed since then. This little book was born out of my short and mostly uneventful autobiography, my journey from a life of hurry to a life of, well, something else. Part one, the problem. Hurry, the great enemy of spiritual life. Last week, I had lunch with my mentor, John. Okay, confession, he's not actually my mentor. He's way out of my league, but we regularly have lunch and I ask a barrage of questions about life, notepad open. John is the kind of person you meet and immediately think, I want to be like that when I grow up. He's blisteringly smart, but more wise. Yet he never comes off remotely pretentious or stuck up. Instead, he's joyful, easygoing, comfortable in his own skin. A raging success, but not in that annoying celebrity kind of way. Kind, curious, present to you, and the moment. Basically, he's a lot like how I imagine Jesus. John, last name Ortberg, happens to be a pastor and writer in California who is mentored by another hero of mine, Dallas Willard. If you don't know that name, you're welcome. Willard was a philosopher at the University of Southern California, but is best known outside academia as a teacher of the way of Jesus, more than any teacher outside the library of scripture. His writings have shaped the way I follow, or as he would say, apprentice under Jesus. All of that to say, John was a mentee of Willard for over 20 years until Willard's death in 2013. I never got the chance to meet Willard. So, the first time John and I sat down in Menlo Park, I immediately started pumping him for stories. We hit gold. Here's one that I just can't stop. John calls up Dallas to ask for advice. It's the late 90s, and at the time, John was working at Willow Creek Community Church in Chicago one of the most influential churches in the world. John himself is a well-known teacher and best-selling author, the kind of guy you pretty much figure has an apprenticeship to Jesus down. But behind the scenes, he felt like he was getting sucked into the vortex of megachurch insanity. I could relate. So he calls up Willard and asks, what do I need to do to become the me I want to be? There's a long silence on the other end of the line. According to John, with Willard, there's always a long silence at the other end of the line. Then, you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. Can we just hit stop for a minute and agree that's brilliant? Thank you. John then scribbles that line down in his journal. Sadly, this was before Twitter. Otherwise, that would have broken the internet. Then he asks, okay, what else? Another long silence. There is nothing else. Hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life in our day. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. End of story. When I first heard that, I felt a deep resonance with reality. Hurry is the root problem underneath so many symptoms of toxicity in our world. And yet, Willard's reply is not what I would expect. I live in one of the most secular, progressive cities in America. But if you were to ask me, what is the great challenge to your spiritual life in Portland? I'm not sure what I'd say. 
Most likely, I'd say it's modernity or post-modernity or liberal theology or the popularization of the prosperity gospel or the redefinition of sexuality and marriage or the erasure of gender or internet porn or the millions of questions people have about violence in the Old Testament or the fall of celebrity pastors or Donald Trump. I don't know. How would you answer that question? I bet very few of us would default to hurry as our answer. But read the Bible. Satan doesn't show up as a demon with a pitchfork and gravelly smoker voice or as Will Ferrell with an electric guitar and fire on Saturday Night Live. He's far more intelligent than we give him credit for. Today, you're far more likely to run into the enemy in the form of an alert on your phone while you're reading your Bible or a multi-day Netflix binge or a full-on dopamine addiction to Instagram or a Saturday morning at the office or another soccer game on Sunday or commitment after commitment after commitment in a life of speed. Corey Ten Boom once said, if the devil can't make you sin, he'll make you busy. And there's truth in that. Both sin and busyness have the exact same effect. They cut off your connection to God, to other people, and even to your own soul. The famous psychologist Carl Jung had this little saying, hurry is not of the devil. Hurry is the devil.
Not because the time wasted on TV is the great Satan, but because we rarely get done binge-watching anything and feel awake and alive from the soul, outward, rested, refreshed, and ready for a new day. We delay the inevitable, an emotional crash, and as a consequence, we miss out on the life-giving sense of the witness of God. 10. You feel disconnected from God, others, and your own soul. On those rare times when you actually stop to pray, and by pray I don't mean ask God for stuff, but I mean sit with God in the quiet, you're so stressed and distracted that your mind can't settle down long enough to enjoy the Father's company. Same with your friends. When you're with them, you're also on your phone or a million miles away, running down the to-do list. And even when you're alone, you come face to face with the void that is your soul and immediately run back to the familiar groove and busyness of digital distraction. Okay, do the math. How did you score? 7 out of 10? 8 out of 10? The point I'm driving towards is this. An overbusy, hurried life of speed is the new normal in the Western world, and it's toxic. Psychologists tell us anxiety is often the canary in the coal mine, our soul's way of telling us something is deeply wrong and we need to fix it fast. In one recent study, 39% of Americans reported being more anxious than they were a year ago. That's not something to keep your eye on, it's an emotional epidemic. As my grandma used to say, just because everybody's doing it, don't make it smart. And as I said before, hurry is a threat not only to our emotional health, but to our spiritual lives as well. Thomas Merton once called the rush and pressure of the modern life a pervasive form of contemporary violence. And violence is the perfect word. But sometimes our hurry is less dramatic. We're just over busy more victims of the rights and responsibilities of the modern world than the perpetrators of escapism. But either way, the effect is the same. It's what William Irvine called misliving in his book, to, or his book A Guide to the Good Life, where he wrote, there's a danger that you will mislive, that despite all your activity, despite all the pleasant diversions you might have enjoyed while you were alive, you will end up living a bad life. There is, in other words, a danger that when you are on your deathbed, you will look back and realize that you wasted your one chance at living. Instead of spending your life pursuing something genuinely valuable, you squandered it because you allowed yourself to be distracted by various baubles life has to offer. Cue the haunting line from Jesus of Nazareth. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Have you lost your soul? or at least part of it, want to get it back, well, keep reading. All right, so our final question for this week is, do you identify this? Have you lost some of your soul? Um, has some of it eroded away in the busyness? And if not currently, uh, and you've had a season in your life like that, how did you come out of it? So to recap, our three questions for this week are, have you ever been found waiting for your soul to catch up to your busy body? Two, 
What, if any of the Tim symptoms do you have and which do you think are the biggest barriers to a good relationship with God? And then three, have you ever lost your soul and the busyness of it all or a part of it? Thank you guys so much for spending some time with me um, and listening to the podcast and getting prepared for your D groups uh, this week. If you guys have any sort of feedback uh, for me on the podcast or anything I can do to make it more enjoyable, please let me know. And as always, if you guys are looking to purchase a copy of the book, just let us know and uh, we can do that for you at half price. Thanks again and have a great rest of your day.